You've been waiting for it. I've been waiting for it. What will Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano say about the new motu proprio of Pope Francis, Traditio, Traditionis Custodis? Everybody wants to know what is Pope Francis? I mean, what is, man, I'm off today. What is Archbishop Vigano going to say about Pope Francis? Well, I've got a little something for you today. I don't know if this is an exclusive. I got an email and it's a short statement by uh, Archbishop Carl Maria Vigano on this topic. And the main point of it is to endorse an article that was just written, I believe, yesterday that Archbishop Vigano wants us to read. So I've published it for you in English. And if you want to follow along with it, I'm going to go over Archbishop Vigano's statement that he emailed to me. And then I'm going to go through this article that Archbishop Vigano wants us to read and study about the old mass, about the new mass, about Pope Paul VI, about Pope Francis. It actually is kind of some high level stuff. And also, I believe Archbishop Vigano is preparing a full statement as he does. But this is our temporary appetizer for today. And I, I think it's exclusive. I don't know. But I think this is it. So you're getting it here. If you want to um, follow along with me, I've made it all available in PDF right here at my website, taylormarshall.com forward slash the word vegano, no accent. taylormarshall.com forward slash vegano, and you get the, the document that he wants us to read. And here is what he says. Let's see if I can just pull it up real quick. He says, where is it? Aha. Um, I ask you to introduce it with my statement. And then here is the statement of Archbishop Vigano. This great and powerful article by Professor Massimo Viglione constitutes one of the most lucid and profound comments on the ominous motu proprio traditionis custodis. In sharing this important intervention, I intend to offer it to the reading and reflection of all the faithful, Catholics and also non-Catholics, so that each one can draw from it prophetic clarity and apostolic courage in the very hard war that we are called to face, a war whose inevitable outcome will be the triumph of the bride of Christ over the unleashing of the infernal powers. Archbishop Vigano then says, this article by Professor Viglioni deserves wide visibility also for showing the overall vision of the simultaneous and coherent strategy and action of the deep state and the deep church. At a time when discrimination against the unvaccinated is also adopted by the Bergoglian church, it is our duty and responsibility to resist with the utmost determination, raise our voices, denouncing what is happening and revealing what is being prepared Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. So that's sort of his cover letter, his note he sent to me to share with you. And then he asked me to share this article by Professor Massimo Viglioni. And if you're just joining us, I have linked it at my website, taylormarshall.com forward slash Vigano. And you can download the PDF in English of this article. So with that being said, we will pray, we'll do the Our Father, and then we'll jump into this. And it's, uh, as you might expect, it's electric. Let me just say that. It's electric. Put on your seatbelts. Oremos. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panam nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. En nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, this week, by the way, I've been preparing many people for about a year now have been asking me to produce the entire rosary, the 15 mysteries, in Latin, and I've been doing that. Um, I've been preparing that. Hopefully, it'll be out in the next couple of weeks, but I've been working on that. So if 
you were one of the people to ask for that, it's coming out. If you want to learn more, please check out my short book, The Rosary in 50 Pages. Make sure you like this video. Make sure you share this video on Facebook. You are my algorithm. YouTube doesn't share these kind of videos about TLM, Francis, Vigano. So you are my algorithm. The only way people see this is if you share it. And of course, if you're new, please subscribe and hit the bell button. It's a little big. Let's shrink that down. It's over there in the right corner. All right. Anything else? Any other news going on? I think that does it. I think that does it. Okay. So if you want to follow along, go to tagomarshall.com forward slash vegano. Here is the statement that uh, Archbishop Vigano is endorsing and asked me to share with you with that cover letter that I just sent. And I actually included the cover letter over at my website, tagomarshall.com forward slash vegano, if you want to watch it. Basically, the gist is, as Archbishop Vigano says, this great and powerful article by Professor Massimo Viglioni constitutes one of the most lucid and profound comments on the ominous motu proprio traditionis custodis. In sharing this important intervention, I intend to offer it to the reading and reflection of all faithful Catholics. So that's what we're doing today. Okay, that being said, let's open up the letter, open up the article, and see what it has to say. Now, it's pretty long, actually. If you download the PDF of it, it's eight pages typed, single-spaced. So it's very long, and I think to read the entire thing would, would turn this into a two-hour show. We don't want to do that. So what I've done is I've read through it, and I've cherry-picked the choice passages, particularly passages that have to do with the motu proprio of Pope Francis restricting the traditional Latin Mass. And there's a lot of other good parts in there as well. If you have free time, I think this would, if you sat down and read it, it's going to take you maybe 15 minutes solid, and it's worth doing it. But I'm going to give you the choice parts, and here we go. Now, the name of this article that Archbishop Vigano is asking us to read is called Hatred for the Mass of All Time and the Question of Obedience. And it's a reflection on especially in the second half of this article, a reflection on the virtue of obedience in the life of the church. And this is ultimately, ultimately, is this the ultimate? Is obedience, I don't know, maybe not. I think the ultimate question is actually has to do with theology, scripture, and tradition. But maybe one of the ultimate or the penultimate uh, debate in this whole thing is the question of obedience the limits of obedience um, and obedience of the laity to the clergy and the priest to the bishop and the bishop to the pope. And this whole thing has been a dust-up since the 1960s. And what's interesting about it, especially if you read through this article, you realize that in the 50s and the 60s, there was a lot of disobedience to Rome, the Vatican, the papacy, which eventually spilled out and became attitudes, opinions, even theological positions of the modernists, of the liberals, of the progressives. And then as they gained power after the council and in Rome, the tables turn and they start demanding obedience to things that are considered to be modernist, even outright formal heresy. Now, the subtitle to this article by Professor Viglioni is John 16.2. They will throw you out of the synagogues. And then under that, he's written the hermeneutic of Cain's envy against Abel. Think back to Cain and Abel. There's a story of Adam and Eve, great tragedy. They fall into mortal sin by disobeying God. They lose sanctifying grace. They lose the infused virtues. They lose all the preternatural gifts. And then their sons are tainted with original sin. What happens? They offer sacrifice to God. God prefers one sacrifice to the other. By the way, I don't think it ever says that one of their sacrifices was invalid. Maybe we're reading too much into this, but God preferred the sacrifice of one to the other. And in jealousy and in envy, one brother killed the other. So Massimo Viglioni, professor, this is how he is 
he's going all the way back to Genesis and he's setting this debate up over sacrifice, liturgy, sibling rivalry, rivalry, hatred, competition, and persecution. Persecution even unto death. So that's a pretty interesting way to tee this up. Again, if you want to follow along, the link is on the screen. You can type it in uh, and follow it. Now, he talks about the establishment of the Novus Ordo Mass. Um, the Apostolic Constitution came out April 3rd, 1969, but it went into effect in 1970. So you'll, you'll hear me and other people talk about the Novus Ordo Mass of 1970. That's when it actually hit the, hit the churches, hit the people in the pews saw it in 1970. Now, in this article, here's one of the choice parts that I want to share. In the Montinian documents, what does Montinian mean? Uh, Cardinal Montini was, he was very important in the later pontificate of Pius XII. He was not, a people thought he might be Pope, including Saul Alinsky. I did a whole video on that two weeks ago. Check it out on my channel, Dr. Taylor Marshall. But then after Roncalli was Pope, he became Pope Paul VI. He oversaw the majority of Vatican II. He closed the Second Vatican Council, and he instituted liturgical reforms and changes to all seven sacraments, not just the Mass, all seven sacraments. So when we say Montini, and remember, using the last name of popes is not sacrilegious or bad. If you look, actually, I had, a, I had to go over this on Twitter last week. Let me see if I still have the shot. If you look at St. Peter's Basilica, you'll see, here it is, perfect. Sometimes I can't find stuff. That's the front of St. Peter's. There you see in Latin, Paul V Borghese, Borgesius there in Latin. The last name, the Pope put his last name literally front and center on the Vatican Basilica. It's right there. Using papal last names, Americans are like, oh, you're disrespecting the Pope. No, using a Pope's last name is European, it's traditional, and it's normal. So when people see, I think, Vigano using Ratzigarian, Bergoglian, all these, you know, they think it's he's denying the papacy. Not, not necessarily. Otherwise, this is denying the papacy. All right, that's just part of the tradition. It's Italian. European. All right, back to the article. The Montinian documents, so he's referring to Paul VI. The Montinian documents we find on several occasions hypocritical, but even pain, regret, and remorse, and paradoxically, the beauty and sacredness of the ancient rite are celebrated. In short, says the author, it is as if Montini... Paul VI, had said, Dear right of all time, I am sending you away, but you were so beautiful. In contrast, the Bregolian document, as many have noted, sarcasm and hatred for the ancient right shine through. A hatred such as it cannot be contained. So this is another interesting setup. I, I, I don't know who this author is. I'm not familiar with his work. Again, this is Massimo Viglione, endorsed by Vigano. But so, the, so, so far, he set up the Cain and Abel. Now he set up Paul VI and Pope Francis. Paul VI is almost like saying goodbye to a pretty girlfriend. You were so beautiful, but I'm having to send you away. Goodbye. He says in Bergoglio, though, there's, there's a hatred. There's a dismissal. In fact, when I read the Mona Proprio to my wife, she said, this sounds like a communist dictate. And it, you know, Francis talks about we can't be rigid. It's the most rigid thing he's ever produced. This article goes on and says, and this is the crux of the whole matter. The progressive and more convinced modernist clergy had to suffer Bennett XVI's motu proprio, dragged by the neck. But at the same time, they constantly worked against the mass of all time. By the way, in Italian, they often refer to the traditional Latin Mass as the Mass of all time, the Mass of all ages. So you see that often in Vigano. You see it often actually in this article running all the way through. So when, when, you, when you hear me read Mass of all time, they're talking about traditional Latin Mass. In America, we say TLM, traditional Latin Mass. 
in in this context, you're going to see mass of all time, mass of all time, mass of all time. So he says that the liberals, the modernists, worked against the mass of all time through hostile resistance by the majority of the world episcopate, which has always openly disobeyed what Sumorum Pontificum established, beginning right in the years of the Ratzigarian pontificate, and then all the more so after the resignation up until today. So, if you don't know, Pope Ben XVI, Ratzinger, issued in 2007 his own motu proprio, Sumorum Pontificum. And Sumorum Pontificum said that the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, the Mass of all ages, was never abrogated, and that every priest on earth, not just Ecclesia Dei communities, not just FSSP, not just Institute of Christ the King, Institute of Good Shepherd, not just SSPX, every priest has the right to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass of all ages. That's Sumorum Pontificum. And he says, as soon as that was issued, the bishops of the world worked against it. And when he resigned, they worked against it even more. And in a way, this is their crowning achievement to have the new pope who replaced Benedict, after all kinds of confusion, by the way, after lightning hit the Vatican, to issue a new motu proprio that undermines those rights that were recognized by Benedict the Sixteenth in two thousand seven. The author then says the hostility of the bishops meant that in the end of the task of putting the motu proprio into action, very often fell to the courage of a few priests celebrating it anyway, even without the permission of the bishop, which was specifically not necessary according to Samorum Pontificum of 2007. Now those bishops who have been constantly and undauntedly disobedient to the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church and one of his motu proprios in the name of obedience to the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church and one of his motu proprios will be able not only to continue, but even to intensify their censorship. The war that is no longer hidden, but is now blatant, is in fact already happening. Now, here's a good part. Ready? The author then says, But Francis has not limited himself to shooting the immortal victim. He wanted to take a further step, that of a fast and furious, to say nothing of monstrous, burying alive of the ancient rite, affirming that the new rite is the Lex Arandi of the Catholic Church from which it should be deduced that the mass of all time is no longer the Lex Arandi. This is something that I noticed when I read the, the originally read the motu proprio. How can Francis say that the Novus Ordo Mass is uniquely the Lex Arandi? That's the law of prayer. How can the Novus Ordo uniquely be the law of prayer for the church if from 1969 all the way back to Pope Damasus in the 380s, the traditional Latin Mass was the law of prayer for the church. If you're saying that that's no, hear me out. If you're saying that that old law of prayer from 1969 all the way back to 380 is no longer the law of prayer, you're because again, he cites the law of prayer is the law of belief. You're saying that the law of prayer and the law of belief changed in 1969, 1970. And that, my friends, is the worry of Pope St. Pius X. That an infiltration would take what has been handed down generation by generation and change it for something new, novel, Nouvelle Théologie. And so, this author says that Pope Francis didn't just shoot the victim, that is, the traditional Latin Mass. He wanted to bury it alive. There's not even time for an execution. Bury it. Bury it. He then says, It is well known that our friend Bergoglio doesn't have a clue about theology, which is a bit like saying, that a doctor doesn't have a clue about medicine or that a blacksmith doesn't know how to use fire and iron. Iron, pardon me. The Lex Arandi, the law of prayer, 
of the church is in fact, sorry, is in fact not a precept of positive law voted on by parliament prescribed by a sovereign, which can always be retracted, changed, replaced, improved, worsened. No, the law of prayer of the church, furthermore, is not a specific determined thing in time and space as much as it is the collective whole of theological and spiritual norms and liturgical and pastoral practices of the entire history of the church from evangelical times, that is the time of Christ, and specifically from Pentecost up to today, end quote. So when we look at the Roman rite, the Roman rite is the liturgical tradition in Rome to this day. It can never end. The Roman rite can, is from the very beginning unto this day. It's established by St. Peter. Someone's going to say, yeah, but Taylor, originally it was in Greek. Yeah, it was. And as a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised that if some of the early liturgies in Rome under Peter, may actually have been in Hebrew or Aramaic. No big deal. It doesn't undermine the argument of the traditional Latin Mass. We believe in three sacred languages. Christ died on the cross for us, and it said that there were three languages on the cross. And this, of course, goes back to the prophecies of the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7. I've written a whole book on it, The Eternal City, that explains, I don't have the book here, that explains the theology of the four kingdoms and how the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, would receive the fourth pagan kingdom, which is the Roman Empire, and transform its pagan and broken structure into the structure of the kingdom of God. This is why Christ died on a Roman cross, and it's why he sent his lead apostle, his chief, Peter, to Rome. He also sent Paul to Rome by a vision, it says in the book of Acts. So the liturgy, is said, is not just a positive law that's, that's issued by an act of parliament. It is, in fact, this is, we need to think of this, the liturgy is, in fact, an organic river that flows from St. Peter, from Christ himself, St. Peter, his apostle, to our time. So, for example, when we learn in retrospect that the Eucharistic Prayer 2 of the Novus Ordo was composed, they say, on a back of a napkin or in haste the night before it was due, like a term paper. And that's the most popular Eucharistic prayer that was literally created, they say from Hippolytus, but if you compare it side by side, it's not. It's a farce. That's the most popular Eucharistic prayer in the Novus Ordo, and it was literally created out of thin air. There's something wrong about that. That's not a flow from AD 33 to our time. That's an ad hoc creation. This is why people have had problems with the Novus Ordo before it even came out. Now, the author also says, quote, the new mass has lost in the face of history and the evidence of the facts. The churches are empty, e ever more empty. The religious orders, even and perhaps above all, the most ancient and glorious ones are disappearing. Monasteries and convents are deserted, inhabited only by religious who are now very advanced in years, and upon whose death the doors will be shuttered. Vocations are reduced to nothing. Even the otto por mille Italian church tax has been cut in half despite the obsess obsessive cloying and pathetic third world as publicity it receives. Priestly vocations are scarce. Everywhere we see pastors with three or four or at times even five parishes to run. The mathematics of the council and the new mass is the most merciless thing that can exist. End quote. The mathematics of the council. Now, many of you out there have real jobs. And many of you have to meet your numbers, right? There's quarterly numbers. If you're in sales, if you're in production, if you're making widgets, moving products, your overseers, your managers want to know your progress. 
If you don't meet your numbers, something is wrong, either with the product or with you, and they need to figure that out. If you do meet your numbers, maybe even go above your numbers, you get a bonus because there's something right with you. This is how the normal world works. And you know, our Lord Jesus Christ was very in touch with the normal world. He was a carpenter. He took part in his father's business of craft work, making things. You know, the, the Greek word tekton there in the Greek doesn't just mean carpenter. It can mean one that works in stone, um, wood, pottery, all kinds of craft. Christ always taught the people in parables, which were very much rooted in their real life experience. He talks about coins. He talks about nets. He talks about fishing. He talks about farmers and fields and crops and weeds. He talks about debts. He talks about loans. Everything, all these things. We are rooted in the real world. And we in the real world know that if your managers, your salesmen, your products are broken, your numbers go down. And you can't just keep shrugging quarter after quarter like, well, I don't know, and expect to keep your job. In the real world, the stakes are high. And you would think that in the Catholic Church, people getting to heaven, the ordination of priests, the baptism of babies, the conversion of non-Catholics, the religious life, all of these things that are indicators of spiritual growth, that if they were constantly tanking quarter after quarter, year after year, decade after decade, there'd be an investigation and a assessment on why are the people leaving? Why are they not getting married in the church? Why are they not getting their babies baptized? Why are they not having as many children anymore? Why can't we get enough priests? Why, are, why is one priest running five parishes right now at one time? But no, these bishops sit in their palaces, in their rectories, drinking the apple teenies on the leopard print furniture or Baroque furniture that they've been collecting. And they just shrug. I don't know. What's the culture? The culture is bad. I mean, the culture was bad under Diocletian and the church grew. They were actually killing people. There was 10 Roman persecutions. That was a bad culture. They were totally pagan, totally sexually perverse totally murderous, had no understanding of human dignity, and yet Catholicism thrived in those environments. Why? Because most of the bishops became martyrs. They lived it, they believed it, they bled it, they died it. Died it, they died for it. So the mathematics since 1965 are bad. You could give it to an accountant. Just change all the words, take out nuns, priests, religious, and put in other words for products and then give it to an auditor. And they would be like, this, con this company is going bankrupt. And the traditionalists are saying, this is going bankrupt. Let's go back to the old product that we, that we were always doing. And the managers are like, no, that's not, that's not what we do. We want to double down on the losing products. I've used the analogy in my book, Infiltration, of when they introduced new Coke in the 80s. I remember that. When I was a kid. There was Coca-Cola. Everybody loved Coca-Cola. It's not good for you, by the way, but they, people love Coca-Cola. And then they introduced new Coke, and everybody hated new Coke. And it didn't take long for the executives at Coca-Cola to realize we're going to go bankrupt if we don't go back. So they went back and they called it Coca-Cola Classic. They're like, they even wanted people to know, look, this is the old recipe. And Coke took off again. If the executives at Coca-Cola can have the humility to admit they were wrong and go back to the original formula, maybe the Pope and the bishops can have the humility to go back to the original formula. Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. People don't believe in the Eucharist. Why? Because they've gone to this liturgy that has grandma hang, handing out Holy Communion, carpeted churches, banal music, the priest facing the people, making up his own words, choosing his own prayers, 
like it's a talk show. Nothing about it says this is the sacrifice of the eternal Lamb of God on the altar of the cross, represented throughout all time in a mystical way. It is the sacrifice of redemption that remits original sin, mortal sin, and venial sin. It does not communicate that. In the numbers, the mathematics, to use the author's quote, bear witness to that. He goes on to say, in fact, the Lex Orandi of the 19th centuries prior to Vatican II and the Montinian liturgical reform have produced one type of faith. Pardon me. <clears throat> In the 50 years following, it has produced another type of faith, another type of Catholic, the author says. You will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 16. The founder of the church taught this exactly. The fruits of the total failure of modernism, or if you like, for the most attentive and intelligent, the triumph of the true purposes of modernism, the fruits of the Second Vatican Council, the fruits of the post-council. Where did the hermeneutic of continuity shipwreck? It shipwrecked along with mercy and the hermeneutic of hatred. I told you this was hard-hitting, people. This is hard-hitting. For you, those of you that are joining us, I'm reading the article that Archbishop Vigano has asked me to share with you. He has endorsed it and he thinks it is a lucid and helpful account of what Pope Francis has done with the new motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis. And if you'd like to follow it, right there on my left, your right, you can see that if you go to taylormarshall.com forward slash Vigano, just that word, um, I've made the PDF available to you in English so you can follow along or read the whole thing. Ideally, read the whole thing. By the way, if you're liking this right now, please like it and please share it on Facebook. I would really appreciate that. You are my algorithm. You're the one that shares it. So hit the thumbs up and please subscribe. That way you get more good videos like this one. Exclusive info from Archbishop Vigano happening today. That's why you subscribe and hit the bell. Okay, continuing on. I'm just taking choice parts in this article. I'm not reading the whole thing. I read through and I said, ooh, this is good. Ooh, that's good. Oh, I'm going to say this. Oh, that's good. That's what I'm doing right now. The author then goes on to say, the mass of all time, the traditional Latin mass, on the other hand, is the exact antithesis of all this. It is dis disruptive in its propagation, despite all of the constant hostility and Episcopal censorship. It is sanctifying in its perfection. It is engaging precisely because it is the expression of the eternal and unchanging of the church of all time, of the theology and spirituality of all time, of the liturgy of all time, of the morality of all time. It is loved because it is divine, sacred, hierarchically ordered, not human, not democratic or liberal, egalitarian. It is both divine and human together, like its founder on the day of the Last Supper. Who's he talking about? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's a little bit of explosive language. He says, it is loved above all by young people, both the lady who frequent it as well as among those approaching the priesthood, while the seminaries of the new rite, the Lex Herondi of Bergoglio, are dens of heresy and apostasy, and it is better to be silent about what else. He's talking about sodomy. Let's be honest, we know he's talking about sodomy. Did you notice, by the way, that the general secretary of the USCCB, who just got busted for using apps to locate illicit relations with other men. That whole story came out this week. I wanted, I kind of thought, should I do a video on that? I was like, it's kind of gross, kind of nasty. I don't want to talk about it for 30 minutes. I may, I might say something that's funny or irreverent or bad. Like, I'm just not going to do it. But did you notice one of the parts of that story that's kind of gone unmentioned is he was a formator, a guy in charge of formation at the American Seminary, the NAC, 
in Rome. So the guys who are the creme de creme in seminary who go to Rome to finish their seminary in Rome at the NAC, North American College, that guy who's using these apps to locate and zero in on other nasty stuff going on, he was forming these priests in Rome so that they could become priests and come back. That was the guy forming them. And we all sit around here like, how could the church have Cardinal McCarrick in it? How could there be all this sodomy and all this heresy? It's in Rome. Everybody says, yeah, but that Taylor Marshall, it's all conspiracy theories, infiltration. He made that up to sell books. No, it's not. It's real. The guy who just got busted for using these apps to commit sodomy with other people, he was doing formation in the American seminary in Rome. I didn't make that up to sell you a book. That's real. You need to know about it. There is an infiltration in the local diocese, in the seminaries, in the seminary in Rome, and in the Vatican. In 2021, if you deny that there, if you say there is no infiltration in the structures of the Catholic Church, you're insane. That there is so much evidence week after week. Maybe in 2019 when it came out, you're like, mm, I don't know about that. Sounds kind of wild. In 2021, it is obvious. In 2022, it's going to be more obvious. They have this app data, by the way, not just on this one priest. You think he's the only one that was using these nasty, illicit apps? No. The seminaries and novitiates of the world of tradition overflow with vocations, both male and female, in an unstoppable stream. The explanation of this incon incontrovertible fact is found in the Lex Arandi of the Catholic Church, which is the one willed by God himself and from which no rebel may escape. In other words, look at the numbers. Which one has an overflow of vocations and which one has a trickle, if any? Some dioceses will ordain one or two men a year. I've even heard of a diocese, I won't name it, an archdiocese. They had no men to ordain one year. <clears throat> so they went to one of them and said, hey, you're due to be ordained next year, but we just want to bump you up a year so we have at least one man to ordain this year. Otherwise, the donors are going to say, well, wait, we're not even ordaining people this year? The author says, this is the root of the hatred. It is the worldwide and multi-generational consensus against the enemy who must die in the face of failure of that which was supposed to bring new life and instead it withered. It's dying because the lifeblood of grace is missing. This part I think was actually beautiful. The part I'm about to read, I like this part. This might be, I think, my favorite part of the article. The author says, <clears throat> pardon me, I have a tickle in my throat today. The author says, it is hatred of kneeling girls wearing white veils, hatred of ladies with many children wearing black veils, hatred of men kneeling in prayer and recollection, perhaps with the rosary between their hands, hatred of priests in cassocks who are faithful to the doctrine and spirituality of all time, hatred of families that are large and peaceful despite the difficulties of this society, hatred of fidelity, of seriousness, of the thirst for sacred. It is hatred of an entire world, even more numerous, that has not fallen or no longer falls into the humanistic and globalist trap of the, scare quotes, new Pentecost, unscare quote. <clears throat> He said it's hatred. That's the title of the, of the article. Hatred for the mass. Because of what it represents. They have to hate it. And he lays out some beautiful imagery. Hatred of girls kneel, kneeling wearing their white veils. Hatred of ladies with many children wearing black veils. Hatred of men kneeling in prayer and recollection. 
I've been treated rudely by priests in my life, and I've also been treated very well by priests. I will say, the rude times, there's been a couple amongst trad priests, but the rude times were primarily around the diocesan novus ordo clergy. And my, my, and my wife, we've talked this before, the, the rudest comments that she or we have ever received were never at the traditional Latin Mass. The rudest comment we've ever received in Mass about our children was at a Novus Ordo a long time ago, 12, 13 years. There is a hatred, and you see it. Pope Francis can't stop talking about cassocks and hats and Saturnos, and he even made that nasty comment about you don't have to breed like rabbits to be faithful. I looked that up. I think it was back in 2015 he said that. In 2015, I was still trying, I was doing the Catholic answers thing and defending Pope Francis. Well, I would say, well, if you read it in Spanish and you interpret it this word in the Spanish dictionary using the third definition and you then interpret it in this light, what Pope Francis is saying is not heretical, it's totally orthodox. I was doing that in 13, 14, and 15. When Pope Francis came out in 2015 and said, you don't have to breed like rabbits to be faithful, I was like, no, nah, I'm done with Francis. You don't talk like that about our families. You don't talk that way about my wife. You don't talk that way about my kids. You're supposed to be the Pope and the Vicar of Christ encouraging us. You don't call us breeding like rabbits. I was done. And you know what I did? If you, if you, anyone who followed me or my blog or anything I was doing, podcast, I kind of went silent on Francis from 15 into 16. And then in 2016, he issued Amoris Laetitia. And after reading that, I was like, mm -mm, I'm going vocal. And I started being vocal against problems in the pontificate of Pope Francis in 2016. And by 2017, I had lost friends, speaking gigs failed, publishing, all kinds of things dried up because they didn't want you to say the emperor has no clothes on in 2017. That was my progression. 2015, breed like rabbits. 2016, Amoris. 2017, seeing friendships, Catholic friendships and associations evaporate because I said, Pope Francis is saying this, and they didn't want to say it. Put your head in the ground. Now it's 2021. And it's a hatred of breeding like rabbits, wearing cassocks, religiously saying the divine office for priests and religious, wearing the veils, having large family. There's a hatred and a disgust for it. And people who are trying to follow Jesus as real disciples, loving Jesus, loving our neighbor, loving our spouses, loving our children, our parents, our siblings, trying to live this gospel, which is, I mean, he says, my burden, um, what is it? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is a burden. There is a yoke. It's easy with grace, but it's still a struggle. We don't need this hatred. Dismissal. Everything going wrong in the church right now. Sex abuse, sodomy, heresy. We got to stop everything and issue a motu proprio against traditional Catholics who make up, by the way, less than 1% technically of Catholics in the world. I'm talking about a 1% group and we got to start dropping nuclear bombs on those people. So the author at the end says, what will happen in the traditionalist world? How will traditionalists respond? He says, this is where we turn to obedience. He says, it is the key problem of obedience over which even the world of tradition, a dirty game is often played, often incited not, <coughs> pardon, not by a sincere search for what is best or for the truth, but personal wars, which have today become more acute in the face of the writh called caused by health totalitarianism and vaccination. Obedience, and this is the error that finds its deepest root, even in the preconciliar church, 
it must be said, is not an end. It is a means of sanctification. Let me pause here. Obedience is a means of sanctification. It is not an absolute value. It is an instrumental value. It is a positive value, very positive, It's if it's ordered towards God. If one obeys Satan or his servants or obeys error or obeys apostasy, obedience is no longer good. You can't say obedience is always the right thing to do. Otherwise, you're obeying Hitler and you're obeying Satan. Obedience can become evil and obedience has limits. Where's my obedience has limits? <clears throat> Pardon for my, here it is. Pardon my, my coffee. I don't know what's going on. There it is. Obedience has limits, people. If the Pope says jump off that cliff and commit suicide, H to the no. Not going to do it. If the Pope says, I want you to go to this mass and the Jesuit priest there says, our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Take your kids to that. H to the no. I'm not going to go. I'm not taking my precious little kids who I try to catechize and teach the rosary to. I'm not taking them to a mass that contains heresy. No, not going to do it. The article then says, exactly like peace, obedience is like peace. Peace, the divinity of today's subversion, is not an end, but rather an instrument of the good and the just, if it's aimed at creating a good and just, just society. If it is ordered towards creating <clears throat> or favoring a society that is satanic, malignant, erroneous, and subversive, then peace becomes an instrument of hell. So that gets us to the end, and it brings up this question of the limits of obedience. And the article ends with these words, let us pray, let us hope, let us keep vigil, and let us choose to be on the right side. The enemy helps, uh, the enemy helps us in the choice. In fact, he is always the same everywhere. Things are becoming more clear, in other words. All right, friends, you can check this whole article out. This is the article endorsed by Archbishop Vigano. He asked me with a cover letter to share this article, to read portions. That's what I've just done. If you'd like it in English, you can go right here, taylormarshall.com forward slash vegano. I'd also ask you, if you like this and you learned, please like the video, give it the thumbs up, please subscribe, and be my algorithm. Share this on Facebook. Pray the rosary every day. I say it. Pray the rosary every day. Father Allman says it. Archbishop Vigano says it, Bishop Schneider says it, all the great saints and popes say it. I chronicle all kinds of popes and saints in my book, Rosary Every Two Pages, that say you pray the rosary every day. Now, I added, pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. What is the team? People going to heaven? Not necessarily. <clears throat> it's the people who want to take up a weapon and fight this battle. Do you want to fight this or do you want to lay down? Uh... The weapon, by the way, is not a physical tank or an AR-15. The weapon to, to defeat Satan right now is the rosary. It's the beads. You rattle the beads. You pray your rosary. That's what you do right now to fight, is you pray your rosary. Pray the rosary every day you're not on the team. Read the Bible every day. Find the traditional Latin Mass. <clears throat> Francis likes James Martin. He likes Pachamama. And he doesn't like the traditional Latin Mass. So that tells you, you should like the traditional Latin Mass. Give it a shot this Sunday. Bring five friends to the traditional Latin Mass this Sunday. And when you see new people, which you will see new people at the traditional Latin Mass, you are going to go 110% to be nice and welcoming to those people. And let me tell you something else. When people come to traditional Latin Mass for the first time, they don't know when to kneel, when to stand. They don't know about veils. They don't know about dress code. They don't know about any of this stuff. 
I was at a TLM high mass and I saw a guy come in with his two kids. He had, uh, I don't know, he had cargo shorts on, tennis shoes, and I don't know if it was a t-shirt or like a polo. Everyone in the whole place is wearing a suit and tie or at least a suit. Very common. Don't be a jerk to that guy. He already knows. Next time he comes, if he comes again, he's going to know what to do. You don't have to be the person to make a comment on it. What you should do is walk up to him after mass and say, hi, my name's Taylor. Welcome. Is this your parish? He'll say, no. Like, oh, well, welcome. Would you like some coffee? Let me show you where the coffee is. Man, you have a beautiful family. How many kids do you have? What's their names? Oh, here. Oh, this is your wife, Mary. Here, meet my wife, Jane. That's what you need to do for these people. If they're confused and you have a missile, you can help them along. But you have to be kind. You have to be an apostle. And also, you can't go on social media and inflame, flame war and troll people. Let's build this. Let's double traditional Catholicism by Christmas. That means you need to invite, call up your friends, say, hey, you should come to the Mass with me. I go to the Latin Mass. You should come. Do it. Do it. And then pray the rosary for everybody. Go to confession. Be holy. All right. We're going to pray the Hail Mary in Latin. Here we go. Nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Sicuterat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, friends, thanks so much. We have a lot to be joyful about. We have Jesus Christ. He loves us. We don't believe in the, the, the foreign, faraway God of Muhammad, Allah. We believe in the Holy Trinity. God is love. Christ came and died for you. Be joyful. Receive him. Receive the sacraments. Be saved. Strive for heaven. Be a saint. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And like, subscribe, share. <laughs>